Hey everybody, before we get started with the episode, I would like to take this opportunity to remind everyone that we are on Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast for $5 a month. Uh, you will get a bonus episode every single week. Um, a lot of times it will be uh, extra ramblings, rantings, and ravings from the main episode, uh, but we cover all sorts of topics there, daily life, what we're drinking and watching off screen, all sorts of uh fun stuff happening there and that's every single week so that's four free bonus episodes for five dollars a month or if you want to contribute one two three four dollars you can do that and just feel like a good person and like you've done something uh, positive for the world by helping us uh, keep this going and uh, maybe help us uh, you know get some new gear or make some merch or whatever um, all of the, f- the funds from the patreon are going towards making the podcast the best that it can be uh, so if you really like the show um, and you want to hear a little bit more of it than the weekly episodes you get, head on over there. Um, if you don't, that's fine too. Just wanted to mention it. But I'll stop talking now. Here's the show. Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am one of your hosts, Dave Gurney, and I'm here with Joe Hilliard and Carlos Cooper. And yeah, we, uh, we're going to talk about some stuff, but as any listener of this program knows glasses must be moistened they are mine's mine is bone dry and we're gonna open (laughs) up uh from tup's brewery which we visited back in episode 61 that's one of your favorites carlos that was the all john carpenter episode we tasted their ddh standing for double dry hop double dry hop (laughs) ddh ipa series 13 it is a series they release them from time to time and now, many months later, we're going to crack open their 23rd in the series, the DDH IPA Series 23. It is a double dropped, double dry hop. <laughs> I'm having trouble with that one. Uh, IPA, it gives you the blend of the hops right there on the can. 40% brew one, 40% citra, 20% mosaic. And if I recall, we really enjoyed this the last time that we had it. We did, if I remember correctly. We have also had two of their stouts on the bonus episodes. If you're not a patron, that's right. Patreon subscriber, you're really missing out on that. Um, yeah, last week's bonus episode was embarrassing. <laughs> we didn't do one last week, but the one before I think that two we weeks did. ago. Yeah. Two, yeah, yeah, you're two right. Weeks two ago. weeks ago, after uh, the we're thinking of ending things. Oh my god. I okay, actually, okay. I have to I have to say this before we get started into anything because I had a conversation with a friend of mine today. He had messaged me on Twitter about that film, and he stopped into the shop to get a voter registration card uh, which we have on the counter uh, if you need to get well, registered cool. to vote please do that um, and I continued our conversation this man having seen no other Charlie Kaufman film went straight into I'm thinking of ending things Wow! and I could not think of a braver and poorer decision <laughs> as an entry into <laughs> Kaufman's uh, body of work is that I was I was astounded by that choice and I I couldn't well I couldn't one of the it. things one of the things that I expect that we'll talk about tonight is Netflix's 
place in how we consume things to watch. So if you're on Netflix and they're releasing their new film, they're going to put that big I'm thinking of ending things picture right there when you're first log on. That's true. That's very true. And so there you go. And, you know, there's some other films on Netflix that you might see while you're perusing through that uh, thumbnail. And if if you weren't familiar with Kaufman's work, then you probably wouldn't see his name and think like, okay, I'm really going to about to get into something. You would just be like, okay, I'll check this out. The trailer was probably... Did he like it? Uh, he's still trying to figure it out, as I think we yeah. all are. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> um, but but yeah, uh, very excited about this uh, DDH twenty three. I have I drank one of these already. I think you gave me two, uh, so I'm very excited that I finally get to drink the second one in my fridge. It is an act of God that this has made it as long as it has sitting in my <laughs> fridge without me breaking down and drinking it. I think it's been in there for about a month. So not peak freshness, but still pretty fresh. Um, I open it. I open up my beer fridge in the garage and I see that big fully stocked beer in a movie shelf and what I can't have. And I cry. Yeah. It's, a, <laughs> it's always a, a sad, a sad brief moment standing. Well, that, that's why, that's why these recordings bring such joy to us yes. that, that we get to finally get into that. And, and I'm certainly, uh, I'm certainly encouraged by the look of this nice light yellow, um, hazy pour and, um, very aromatic, a little bit of pine, a little resin kind of, um, maybe, maybe a slight, slight bit of citrus, but then, uh, also that, that kind of funkiness that you, you can get with mosaic sometimes good, good stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm liking what I what I'm getting into here. Well, I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say about it once we finish with the film. But sure. that does leave the film, and the film this week is uh, a bit of a doozy, I guess, um, in terms of its. It's a loaded uh, gun. It is in terms of its public reception. So the film we are talking about is Cuties. It is being distributed in the United States by Netflix. Um, it premiered in the World Dramatic Competition section section of the 2020 Sundance Film Festival, a world-renowned film festival that we're all familiar with, launched careers of many a filmmaker. Uh, And Ducour, I believe is how you say her name, David, you'll probably correct me if I'm wrong, won a directing award in that competition. Uh, It was released in France early August, and then at the beginning of September, it was released on Netflix. Um, And... uh, so the dire- the director is a woman. Na- uh, she also wrote it as well, named uh, Maimona Decor. It's a very difficult name to pronounce. I, That's, I I'm think you pos- did a good job. Positive that I'm doing it that wrong. Sounds pretty good. Um, I don't I don't think she would hate you if she heard. <laughs> I'm doing my best. Yeah. Um, but not it, yet. <laughs> anyhow, uh, much controversy surrounding this film. Um, it. The marketing campaign mostly, I think, is what has caused this. Um, It's been the subject of controversy and political backlash, um, receiving a ton of criticism online. There was a a movement, a trending hashtag on Twitter and on Facebook as well, hashtag cancel Netflix. And so um, what the film is about is it is about a young girl named Amy. She's 11 years old, presumably like in the sixth grade, like just starting what we would uh, refer to as middle school. I'm not exactly sure how all of that works over there. Um, but she is basically rebelling against her very traditional Muslim upbringing um, and the way that she 
does that is she sees this uh, group of her peers, this group of girls that are in like a dance group that are trying to enter this dance competition. And, you know, what maybe the film doesn't present, but that it's, I don't know, it's hard for me to synopsize without it. Amy works her way into this dance group and uh, kind of ramps up some of what they're doing and pushes them in, you know, a certain direction and is really, really latches on to this dance group is like, you know, her, like she needs this thing and it, it goes, her, it goes different her, places. Her but, identity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's basically making it her identity and this is the only thing in her life that she can uh, get any kind of approval or validation from. And so, you know, those types of things obviously lead to, uh, or can lead to, um, you know, not super healthy behaviors and et cetera, whatever. But it's going to be impossible to talk about this film without talking about the controversy. So we'll do that first. Now, what the controversy of this film is, is there are a few uh, dance sequences in it, uh, you know, that feature these young girls. They're all 11. And I believe the actors or actresses who play them are age appropriate for their characters. Um, and, you know, there are sequences of them dancing in a sexual way, uh, even twerking at, at, at some times. And people have decided on the internet, a certain group of people, uh, that this movie is, openly endorses pedophilia because of these scenes um, and has accused Netflix of uh, being pro-pedophilia and promoting the idea of pedophilia and that because of this, we should all cancel our Netflix subscriptions to show them that we are not going to take this. And right. that, you know, and of course, this is all like, you know, timed around all this Epstein stuff. And there's even before this came out, there was a QAnon led movement, hashtag save the children. There was a, I mean, a lot of misinformation being spread and, um, you know, supported by that movements, but you know, one of the biggest things is probably California bill SB 145. Uh, I saw tons of sharing of an interpretation of what that legislation says and does that is just so clearly false and so clearly misconstrued that I don't see how anybody could have read it and just been like, yep, that's got to be true and not looked into it any farther. Uh, it's absolutely <laughs> insane. But so I want to start by addressing the controversy because every time that I saw somebody say something like this on Facebook or Twitter, and let me even preface this by saying this was not a film that really caught my attention. It was not a film that had a story or that, you know, dealt with subject matter that I really was interested in and probably would not have watched this film were it not for the controversy surrounding it because the bulk of my curiosity was what is this film actually doing? How far off base or how close to the reality are these people's criticisms? And is the film itself, you know, a worthy artistic expression and not just sensationalist garbage. Um, so I want to say that if you're one of these people that is canceling your Netflix subscription over this film or even telling people that they should and promoting this kind of idea on Facebook that Netflix or these filmmakers are pro-pedophilia, you're a fucking idiot. 
And <laughs> the question that I always ask these people is, have you seen the film? I didn't say anything else. I would just be like, hey, I, I genuinely want to know, have you watched this movie? And every single person responded with no, but I saw clips from it and that was enough for me to know that it was, you know, abhorrent and morally reprehensible. And so I will say that if you're one of these people that has been saying to cancel your Netflix subscription and that this movie and Netflix and the director are pro pedophilia, you're an even bigger fucking moron. You are a special <laughs> breed of idiot that I literally cannot tolerate. This type of nonsense, this type of QAnon bullshit spreading of misinformation sensationalist garbage is literally we are witnessing the decline of american civilization the fact that anybody would form such a strong opinion about this movie as to call for a boycott of an entire streaming platform having not seen the film is absolutely bonkers insane the fact that Ted Cruz, an elected official in the United States Senate, would issue an inquisition to the Department of Justice to investigate Netflix and these filmmakers for the manufacturing and distribution of child pornography while his spokesperson admitted that Ted Cruz himself has not seen the film is fucking crazy, especially now that Ted Cruz is making a shortlist for the Supreme Court nomination that it was just unfortunately yeah. uh, vacated by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And... I know that there are more terrible things that are happening in American civilization and political discourse and stuff, but I just feel like this is just such an obvious example of it where you have a group of people that are so um, – that f have such a strong opinion about something that they have not no actual knowledge of is such an easy illustration of everything else that is going mm. on in the way that American society is crumbling around us every day. And I and the and the last thing that I want to say to these people is how many other films that feature extreme violence and gore and like brutal murders and killings that depict domestic abuse that depict whether it's off-screen or on-screen mm -hmm. uh you know rape or sexual assault uh, how many of these films have you had this reaction to? How many of these films have you boycotted? How did you feel when you saw Jodie Foster as like a 13-year-old prostitute and taxi driver? Never heard anybody <laughs> say anything about Martin Scorsese needing to be canceled. Right. There is so right. much terrible shit that is depicted in film that yeah. everyone is just, you know, okay, this is a fictional film. I'm fine yeah. with this. And nobody ever bats an eye at. But then you have this movie which is also a fictional piece of work and now well, everybody having not seen the movie is up in arms about it it's absolutely ridiculous yeah yeah i i hear where you're coming from carlos and, I, and i'm very sympathetic to your position i, do, I may not be I, well, i may not be quite as extreme as 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 you are in terms of how you're you're framing it but i do think what you're hitting on there towards the end of your uh your tirade is is pretty accurate where i think my my response to you and like why why wouldn't these people be up in arms about these things is they they don't see movies the people who are up in arms about this aren't movie lovers they aren't people who actually spend time with films beyond the most sort of basic entertainment level you know entry level kind of uh, family like julia roberts movies yeah and i would even say more basic than that i feel like pretty woman might give them some uh <laughs> That's fair. But, that's prime. You know, that's prime time era. Julia Roberts, right there. Yeah. Um. You. You know. But. I, but I think the the response you're getting is from those people who are looking to wage the culture war. Right. They. They want something to grab onto. They saw this as an opportunity 
to um, to to promote this conversation that you, as you've said, has lots of different little tendrils that it's uh, spreading out into um, the political and social landscape through these strange conspiracy theories that also intertwine with very real illegal behaviors, you know, with Epstein and stuff like that. Like there is a reality to there are people out there doing nefarious stuff for sure around human trafficking, around sex trafficking, around underage people. Like that stuff exists. Yeah. But, but it is not as tightly wound together in these conspiratorial, uh, you know, frameworks as people want to believe it is. Well, it's not related to this film. No, and it's not related to this film other than it is one other opportunity to put this false, uh, you know, moral panic into the ether that, oh my God, we are in an era of climbing pedophilia. And this, like, I don't think the rates have changed. I think we we have a segment of society that is intent on, or, or that is compelled to do terrible things. And we always need to be on guard and look out for them and look to... Uh, protect people who are vulnerable and all that that's all true 100 endorse it but it is not that we're in some new era where there is a cabal of you know people in the entertainment industry and the in the um the upper echelons of politics more so than there ever was before who are hatching this whole scheme so and they're not even necessarily tying it into it but it's an opportunism right it's a sensationalism as you've said it's it's opportunism um to kind of seize on it and to their credit Netflix really blew this when they marketed the thing oh, the way yeah. they okay. that would, image that they used, which you kind of mentioned yeah. really briefly there, was a dumb way to market this movie. And you can look, you know, there's plenty of comparisons side by side online yes. where you can see the way it was marketed in France, uh-huh. where you get an image, I think it's an image of the girls after their shopping spree, where yeah, they, they're just like walking you know, down the street, yeah, yeah. which is an icon. I mean, iconic. It's it's a it's a great image from the film. I think it's a good moment yeah. in terms what it does narratively. I think that was a great choice to market the film. This staged kind of weirdly put together photoshopped image of them all in their dance outfits and kind of, you know, whatever provocative postures sort yeah. of. That wasn't the, that wasn't a great idea. I, I was Post. I was waiting uh for an opportunity to jump in cuz I I did forget to say that I think that the criticism of Netflix's rollout is a valid criticism. Sure. Um, so to what you just said, I 100% agree with, and I missed saying that in my initial tirade. If you're going to go after anything, it's the marketing of this film. But I think to condemn the film as a whole yeah. and say that it's promoting something that it is not only not promoting, but actually criticizing and condemning well, yeah. in the context that, of the film is yeah. is it, it's insane. I mean, you are a crazy person if you are willing to be so zealous about something you have absolutely no knowledge of. And like I said, this is more benign, but there are plenty of other like real political issues that people take that same approach to. Hence, I mean, if if we're going to fascism, we're in. If we're going to address the criticism first, I mean, sorry, the controversy first, and then go into a, a straightforward review of the film, I'm most interested in the anatomy of the controversy. Because, and, and I agree with with Dave a little bit. I'm not coming out so hard against it. I, I'm more about like what's the sociological implication of it, um, as we move into the election and you know the power of social media. And I could see the game and the players in the game orchestrating 
the controversy. But what was fascinating to me was, you know, I get, cause I get, we all three of us and we all share throughout the day in our little beer in a movie chat, movie news that's coming through our feed. Yeah. So I saw that original um, Netflix under fire for promoting a film. Now quickly, the film is a small French, French language. You have to read subtitles to watch this movie. Uh, if you don't know French, film about 11-year-old hip-hop dancers. And Carlos, you, that never would have come across my radar. I never would have thought to watch that movie. Yeah, of course not. I and nor would any other American. The moment that they, maybe that they're, maybe they're sucked in by the, the 11-year-old dance photo and they begin watching it, but this is a slow, thoughtful film about Muslim culture as it exists within French culture with a bunch of Americans throwing in some American ideals, they wouldn't last five minutes. Nothing salacious, if that's the term that we're going to debate, happens. There's no dancing scenes or uh, 15, 20 minutes into the film. No one would have made it. No one would have watched this movie. Okay, but all of a sudden, friends of mine, like friends of mine that are thoughtful and who I talk about movies with sometimes, began posting some of the cancel netflix and at the beginning of it all i like you carlos was like and i hadn't seen it yet but have you seen it and the answer was always no always no and so and then and that's really my criticism the ted cruz example that you gave but this is not new i mean our companion film tonight in the second half of the episode is going to be an equally controversial film about similar subject similar subject matter right it's a fantastic pairing kids by um larry clark yeah. Uh, so that occurred, uh, the life of Brian and the controversy with the Catholic church of a movie that no one had seen. Mm-hmm. Also, and, a, another good example of that is, uh, is dogma. The Catholic church yeah. was so outraged by Kevin Smith's dogma yeah, and no. his react, his rebuttal to that always is the entire film. The plot of the entirety of that film is predicated on the fact that you have to accept that God exists to follow that film. Right. I mean, and, and what <laughs> they're so mad about like, what the fuck? Because what happens in these new social media cycles is, is I, I'm not trying to engage with my friends. I'm done with that. I don't fight with people online, but I, I would ask I'm that question. Yet. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? <laughs> no, I haven't. And then I know that person to be a thoughtful person. Okay. So then it gets into, it's so big on social media that my teenage girls are bringing it to the dinner table. Now I've got a duty as a parent to know what this thing is. Right. Did that make it to an episode of dinner table talks? Yeah. One came out today that kind of addresses it. Okay. But, um, my point though, is that if my girls are going to watch this and I know they are now because they're going to get all into the social media thing and there's going to be a sleepover. And do you want to watch this dirty movie that I heard about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if my girls are going to watch this movie, you're damn right I am. I'm going to know what the cult, what they're watching. Yeah, what they're talking and about. And then the entire – well, I don't want to say anymore because we haven't reviewed the film yet. But then <laughs> I begin to see people posting, you know what? I watched it, and the entire controversy is incorrect. And yeah. that's the wave that I'm beginning to see come through my feeds. See, on my I, I haven't seen any of that yet. The first like real 
thing that I saw that was from a reputable source was the Guardian saying, like, you know, I, I think they gave it three out of five stars or something, and it was like, it's a, you know, the film is, like, strong yet flawed, and uh, mired in controversy, and then the subheading was, like, the people saying cancel Netflix don't realize that they agree with the filmmaker or right. whatever, you know, which is true. And also... I do want to talk about the film itself, and so just to punctuate the controversy thing, one thing that I found myself thinking as I was watching it is I was like, how many movies have we seen where young boys are trying to sneak a peek at some girl, or they're just dying to see a side boob, or like a boob in general, and like, that's the whole plot of the film, is young boys trying to like, you know, whatever, look at an older girl, or you know, and nobody ever batted an eye at any of that stuff. There were yeah. popular one of the most iconic moments in the Sandlot is fucking Squints sexually assaulting Wendy Peppercorn. No one cared about that. No one said shit about that. And just so the double standard between us showing young boys, you know, doing some of the As things sexual, that these girls yeah, do in yeah. the film, and well, nobody I mean, really. And there's oh, boys will be boys. And, one of the one of the is, biggest yeah. one of the biggest entertainment stories right now is the table read of Fast Times at Ridgemont High with all the big stars. I know, and I, I was going to bring that look, up too. If you look at the content of that film, it is pre-18-year-olds discovering their sexuality. Yeah, we're supposed and, to be like titillated by that girl coming out of the pool naked, and she's supposed to be like 17 in the film. She's a right. like We're supposed to be titillated right. by a minor showing her breasts in this film. Right. I mean, the protesters at the end of the and day— And it's considered they, iconic made cuties number seven at netflix when it never would have cracked the top 500 that's yeah that's probably true the protest shined a light on the very thing that the protesters were protesting against that they were trying it, to remove exactly it is mm -hmm. the weirdest thing i maybe we can move into the film now i think we should but yeah. I, I i that was my the, the the anatomy of this controversy was fascinating because clearly anyone that was against this film because it was glorifying the sexualization of kids did not watch the movie. It does the opposite thing. It does yeah. the opposite. And and I'll I'll just say how I feel about the film very quickly and let y'all kind of take that discussion because I've already sure. sucked enough air out of the room. Um, I thought that this, I thought this was a pretty good film. I mean, I thought that it raised a lot of questions and uh, it didn't like explicitly answer all of them and uh, which is something that i value in a film that i'm left thinking about some of the things that it you know brings up some of the points that it makes i thought that i mean i could have an entire like hour discussion with you guys about just the mom like that character who doesn't get a lot of screen time is mm -hmm. very complex and is a very like well-developed character in and of herself and and so i i I enjoyed parts of this film. I was very uncomfortable during some of those dance sequences, and I looked at my phone instead of watching the film, which I think it was, <laughs> I think, I, I, you know, based on my reading of the film and the context in which those scenes are presented, I think that you were supposed to be uncomfortable right. uh, by it. Um, did it have some issues here and there? Yes. Is it like my favorite movie of all time? No. Will I ever watch it again? Probably not. But like, I thought it was a pretty well done film and it was well yeah. written and well acted. And I think that some of the uh, directing in this film was fantastic and that I will watch whatever this uh, filmmaker does next. Yeah, I, I thought as a film, this is an impressive, I mean, especially for a feature debut, 
uh, for a director writer. I think that that this is pretty uh, outstanding uh, work. That um, as you've already said, that if anybody takes the time to watch it, they'll realize that it is as critical of the sexualization of minors as a film can be. And, and you know, in a very thought-provoking and I think um, challenging way. Like like Carlos said, it's, it's giving you those scenes. Now, to that end, and, and I think one of the ways that, that this, uh, you know, not to belabor the controversy, but one of the ways that it's been extended is that there are these sequences that you can extract from the film and put, you know, just, you know, whatever, the minute-long dance clip, and it could seem like, okay, well, if this is just these dance routines back to back to back to back, this is a pedophile's uh, dream, right? You're, they're, they're just seeing like this dance. I don't know if that's true or not, but but the point is, is that there are segments of the film that you can extract and put into a, a different context and say, yes, there's something, neg- there's something troubling here. The thing is, is as you're watching the film, it's supposed to be troubling, right? I mean, you're not supposed to feel comfortable as a viewer that this girl is is finding this validation and forging her identity through this, and in a way that really spirals out of control pretty quickly because she she feels compelled to go beyond even what that group of dancers was doing before her, right? And introduce new, more provocative movements, and uh, and obviously, I think the the big the surprise to me going into it, the uh, the um, her her doing uh, posting her own child pornography, right? Taking a picture of herself nude and uh, and sharing that, right? Um, which you know is totally something that happens. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not doubting David, that it doesn't David, happen. David, I, I I looked it up. Eleven percent of girls under the age of eighteen have posted nude pictures of themselves online. Yeah. I'm sorry, eleven percent of girls with an internet connection to do so. Okay, and, in America. So there you go. That's like one in ten. So and, and again, these are particularly young, right? We're we're estimating they're what twelve years old is what the characters they are say. Supposed? They say eleven at one point. Eleven. When, okay. When they're trying to lie to the boys about their age. Right. Uh, right. That's right. And and it seems like you know that that is definitely borderline. Even have they hit puberty yet? I mean, that's that's in that age range where it tends. Well, it's so a, and it it's seems, part of, and it's like a plot point as well. Yes. Right. And it seems shockingly young. But um, but at the same time, it should be shocking, right? It's it's the kind of thing that's like a little. It, it I think this this film is supposed to be a little bit of a uh, consciousness raising moment where you're like, okay, this is the stuff your kids might be doing if they're grabbing the phone and going behind, and not in like a way that just condemns the kid. I mean, there's problems with this family, and you see the roots of her yearning for this new kind of identity because she doesn't feel at home in her own apartment, right? Her her father is about to marry another woman. They're they're in a polygamous marriage. That her is, mother doesn't feel comfortable with that. That's she's one of the most heartbreaking out. scenes. Yeah. That when she's I've under seen the bed. when she's under the bed and her yeah. aunt is making her mom call as many people as she can to tell them that yeah. her husband's taking a second wife and she's right. like having to pause during the phone calls to weep and Amy is just stuck, like witnessing like her mom go through this excruciating like emotional trauma because yeah. as a woman in their culture who's supposed to just do what they're told, she has no say in this matter. And right. that I mean that moment is really kind of the turning point for the character Amy where she's like, okay, the the this is not 
I don't fit into this world. I don't want to just like have to do what I'm told. And there has to be something out there for me to validate me or to help me feel like I'm in control of myself and my life to not end up like my mother. And then that's when she really just takes it obviously too far, as we said. Um, but I think that there's even, I don't know that that scene was, that scene was tough. I mean, it was, yeah. yeah, I mean, we talk about all kinds of movies on the show, but we very rarely talk kids movies. We've done Space Jam. We've done... Hell yeah, we uh, did Space Jam. We did uh, Alita, and I took my daughter to go see Alita. It was one of the few films... Not, not, uh, never mind, that's not true. I watch as many of the movies that I'm going to watch for this show with as many people in my house that will watch them with me. Um, but I, I can't not look at this film under the context that I talked about earlier, which is, to me, I have friends that tell me, oh my God, you're not going to believe it my high school son got caught with some beer in his backpack to which i tell my friend yes i do believe it because yeah. we had beer in our backpacks yeah that's it <laughs> right so if you are a parent of a preteen girl that has a cell phone this movie should be required viewing this movie shines a light on some real life that you don't see about 11 12 13 year old girls often in america the 11-year-old girl film is Ramona, and it's all airy and light and fun. But this film, I'm not saying that American films aren't sometimes gritty, but this film shows a picture of what it is like to be 11. If you don't think that your kid goes to school and sees the cool click of girls or boys, whatever, that are defying the teachers and, and, and making their identity through dressing a little more provocatively than they should probably at their age or even being kind of troublemakers too like when they like freeze everybody in the beginning and stuff you know they're kind of they're always kind of stirring up shit Mm -hmm. and if you this and the reason why i looked up that statistic was because if this is a real thing that's happening and we condemn the film for showing what's really happening when we're saying that what we're condemning condemning is the thing that the film is portraying we're losing an opportunity that almost every single person if they had kids daughters especially could have used this movie as a tool to have a conversation about the real thing that they were right for protesting. In other words, the intent of their protest is against ugly things that we as a society should change. But we have to be able to talk about them. And film throughout life has given us the ability to talk about uncomfortable things by creating a product that we can all consume together. And I believe that Cuties is that and that those protesting it have missed an opportunity here. Um, th- no, I think you're right. The, the sad thing is, is that they really take the sexualization that is th- that is a problem that that is a social problem um, and, and one that has a lot of complexity to it. And they want to boil it down to the evil of pedophilia. That's one aspect of the negativity of over sexualizing people in general, but certainly young women. And the reality is, is, you know, what the film sort of shines a light on, it's not because there are older men who are seeking these girls. It's because these girls want approval from the culture that surrounds them. It's because they want to fit in with the images that they're seeing in magazines and in, and in music videos. And, you know, that's what they're they're mimicking in the in their dance routines, right? In music fact, videos. In fact, 
David, every man that they confront with this like incorrectly pointed sexuality that they were trying that they're trying on reacts appropriately. Yes, well, except one. As which well, one? Maybe two. The, uh, the guards. The the second guard that shows up is. A little yeah. too, a little too attentive. There was a little, there was a little strangeness there. But I'll right, like, but right occurs at the end. I mean, the but middle, there, there's no danger really that nothing happened. But, but I get what you're saying, and and I think you're right, Joe. That the majority, the vast majority of responsible adults that exist out in the world have no interest in. 11, 12, 13 year old girls, you know, and it, and it's an off putting thing. And if anything, it's something that you're trying to no, come on, get girls, you know, go, go channel your energy in a more productive way, please. Um, but, uh, but that, that is the, t the rap that has been put on the film by those who aren't bothering to see it. And it's an easy way to dismiss it. And it's an easy way to add another check mark to a column that doesn't quite exist about this rampant outbreak of pedophilia that we're living through. So, you know, it, it's unfortunate that a film, I think as sensitive as this one is in, in many regards, I think that, uh, um, you know, Decoré or De Decor is a filmmaker to watch. You know, we, we use that term occasionally. Yeah, no doubt, I, no doubt. And I use it very happily and, and very uh, wholeheartedly here, where I think that we're seeing the beginning of another great career. And it's kind of interesting, I don't know, if they're, I, I imagine they must know each other, right? You can't have too many French Senegalese female filmmakers these days. But you know, uh, Matty Diop, who who we reviewed Atlantics, uh, you know, not that long ago. Um, it's it's amazing to see these filmmakers coming out with very different or different backgrounds to my own, exposing elements of their worlds. Like you know, this is very much a film about a Senegalese immigrant family in France dealing with culture clash, dealing with and it, it's something that resonates with me. It's something that I can understand, certainly. But it also exposes me to a totally different um, experience than my own. You know what I mean? So that, to me, this is this is a film that I hope that the people who are seeing and the people who are making it number seven on Netflix are coming away thinking, wow, there's something here to watching foreign films that can maybe take on an issue from a slightly different angle. I would love to think that some people are coming away putting this filmmaker on their radar or at least making it more likely that they might check out the next subtitled film that comes along uh, on Netflix for them as a recommendation. But, uh, but I don't know. Those who are going to dismiss it without even checking it out, they're a lost cause. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the connection to Senegal here. And if you hadn't brought up episode 74, you know, when, <laughs> when we did the I Was Going To, Good. because that's one of our most fun episodes to listen to. For other reasons, but we do uh, look integrate at, film. Yeah, yeah, we do look at Atlantic. Um, I just th that last point I wanted to make is that the film does indeed when it, when you look at the criticisms of it and you check mark them off as that's not accurate, that's not accurate, that's not accurate. The film does indeed sexualize these young girls, but the point that is trying to be made with the film, and I think both of you said it before I'm about to, is that those scenes are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And they're to be uncomfortable because there is value in shining a light at a very real social issue. Well, okay, I'm, go I'm ahead, sorry. Carlos. Yeah, I'm glad that you uh, brought up those scenes because there's, if memory serves, there's really three that, uh, you know, once 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 Amy comes in and begins to ramp up 
the sexuality of what they're doing because of what she's seeing on inter- on the internet and what is she's being validated for and stuff. The first one is is I mean, you know, it's kind of on the fence there. It's getting a little a little weird, a little too much, a little inappropriate for their age, but still something that your girls, if you send them to any dance studio to do hip hop classes, are probably going to do. Um, and and then there's the scene where uh, they've just been accepted into that competition, and they're on the staircase making that video. And to me, that scene kind of uh, functions as like a look into their minds of how they want to be yes. perceived and how, and like yes. this kind of fantasy that they're having. Yeah. Um, yes. And, and something struck me while I was watching that, um, you know, maybe this is something that's kind of a little more on my mind than it normally would be because I'm in the midst of a Buffy, the vampire slayer rewatch. Um, <laughs> and when, uh, when pandemic priorities, I love it. Uh, what, and and I'm also watching um, Angel at the same time as Buffy when they were airing at the same time. Like in real life, I'm watching it in the correct order and whatnot. Uh, so that's been amazing. But uh, one of my favorite characters who has like this amazing character arc in the show, Cordelia Chase, who's played by Charisma Carpenter. Charisma Carpenter was 27 years old when she was cast as the 16-year-old high school junior, high school sophomore, I think, in the first season. Yeah, uh, Cordelia Chase. Mm-hmm. If this film were made by an American filmmaker, that scene on the staircase would have been, you know, eleven-year-old girls doing that, but probably played by like eighteen or nineteen-year-olds. How is that going <laughs> to play? I mean, yeah. I feel like that almost makes it weirder. And there's so many like instances of older women being cast as much younger, and you know, being sexualized by Michael Bay or by whoever, and nobody ever bats an eye that we're supposed to be seeing a girl who is underage and in high school, you know, scantily clad right. or topless in fast times at Ridgemont high. And, and I, you know, the fact that age appropriate people were casting this really drives the point home that like, they look ridiculous in that scene. Right. You know, right. they look so foolish and it's, and it is uncomfortable, but it is for the reason that it's supposed to be and that it's supposed to be Chris. And then also the one thing that I just couldn't get over when I was watching it, thinking of all of the criticisms that I had seen of it online is that final dance sequence the from the original Netflix poster that happens at the end of the film, audience members are booing them. Yeah. There is a tacit disapproval by the people <laughs> in the film of what is yeah. happening. And yeah, and I mean, I had written it down. The very first scene is, well, a, is she a, even, she's crying. Yeah, that's Amy the very first shot. Like, it's the very first shot of the film is her on stage in that moment that we saw in the poster, which okay. is, you know, has been leading up to the entire film. And you kind of feel like that's what that shot is from at the very beginning is from what is yeah. going to be the end of the film. And she's weeping. And it's right. like, oh, yeah, this is not a happy, like triumphant not, not a celebration <laughs> you know and no. if you watch if you watch the first 45 seconds of the film you'd be like oh maybe this isn't as like in favor of this thing that i think that it is maybe right. i should i don't know no I mean, you bring more. up that know. you bring up that last shot i mean my biggest critical problem of the film is the speed of the redemption the idea that she worked so hard to get there and then just instantly starts crying and yeah. then runs home. But the redemption at home, her mother sticking up for her. Yeah. yeah. Which kind of comes her, out of nowhere. Her 
Yeah, that for wearing yeah. her own. It does come out of nowhere. The speed mm-hmm. of it, but mm-hmm. the message, the message of it, and then the speed within which she reverts back to being age appropriately dressed and going. But not off traditionally to, dressed. So no. she finds that medium at the end. Sure, and then going out to do the the jump rope, and then that final shot of her elevating into which the is sky, so good. It was very good. I mean, my my the allergies in the room kicked up a little bit at that point, <laughs> and uh, so I mean, to me, it's like. We're watching a powerful, multi-layered film. Carlos, you did as good as you could with the plot synopsis, but there are many more layers to this yeah, movie about sure. religion and matriarchal society and absentee fathers. And so that's why I go back to this notion of this is a strong film to watch with your teen daughters to have a talking point about how they're using social media, etc. And that's mm-hmm. as much editorializing as I can do. Yeah, about yeah. expectations and stuff. And I, I think that one thing this film illustrates so well is that not talking to your kids about what is going on with them and in their lives is the worst thing you can do. Because that is ultimately what leads Amy down this path, is that no one in her family will talk to her in a way that she... About can't. her point of view. Yeah, yeah. They they talk at her the entire right. film. Nobody yeah. ever wants to hear from her. They're just telling her what to do, mm-hmm. and she's just supposed to accept it and do what she's told and move on. And, you know, that doesn't always work for everybody. And, you know, if your kids want to have a discussion with you about something or they have questions for you, you should be there willing to answer those questions, you know? Mm-hmm. The core mm-hmm. question for me, though, and this is where I differ from you, Carlos, on your kind of stronger words at the beginning, is that there are people who have had real trauma in their lives that if if a, a media assault is coming at them, that this film does a thing, they aren't going to want to watch that thing. And I do give those people a pass here. However, okay. maybe shows like ours and other critical opinions and critical opinions that I've read online and people watching the movie and going, whoa, 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 let's let's cool the brakes on this controversy here. There's more to this than we'll get people talking about the real issue, which is at the heart of the film, which the film I think does really well. I just think that in any situation, if you're talking about something, if you're talking about a book you haven't read, an album you haven't listened to, a movie you haven't seen, an issue that you have never heard of or read anything about before, you gotta stop and think, yes, this information that's being given to me seems plausible, but is it accurate? What is, like, I don't know yeah. anything about this and I'm just gonna believe the first thing somebody tells me about it? Like, there, you have, and I know it's, I know critical thinking is not something that is really focused on in like public schools, no. like K through 12, it's just do well on these standardized tests and regurgitate the information. But I mean, my well, God, well, it, it is. Nor is it, nor is it expected in the general social media ether. Critical thinking. What are you talking about? We yeah. haven't done that as a country in a very long time. Which is a I, 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 I feel like we're going to go down a rabbit hole. Here. Oh, yeah. and, and I know we've been going on. And I, have, I don't, yeah. I don't a... want to artificially cap discussion, but I think we've made our points. Yeah. Um. And and I I think that anybody who's listening who has a question about this film should just watch it for themselves. I mean, that that's the bottom line. If you're listening to this podcast, it's because you do care. It's because you do want to take these these uh, sorts of films seriously on their own merits and not just listen to what hearsay is on a given topic and, and accept that as uh, as your final pronouncement. So, you know, please, 
our discerning listeners, I think you'll benefit from seeing this film. Um, you, you may come away a little bit uncomfortable, but you should. And and you may yes, you should. Uh, That's the point, <laughs> right? And and you may indeed uh, not want to watch it as openly with your younger family members. But I think Joe's point that watching this with teens or even young teen tween girls or boys for that matter actually the boys should probably be just as educated as as the females if we really want to see things change um that this this could be a useful tool but um but if you're just going to dismiss it out of hand well you know i'm 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 not going to pay much attention to you and hey do y'all want to do hey do y'all want to do 30 minutes on partisan politics or talk about the (laughs) uh, ddhipa yeah. Um, okay. I'll go with the uh, the former. So I think at this point, this country is so divided. <laughs> that wasn't a serious option, Joe. You were oh, oh totally. Or maybe the uniting power potentially of this uh, Tufts IPA. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's going to bring new people to the table, but I think if you're an IPA drinker. Um, you're going to be satisfied with this one. It, I think it, it could bring t- new people to the table. If all you you've ever, so? if all you've ever known of IPAs is Stone IPAs, <laughs> and then you know you try something like but this. Are you talking about like are we going to find some caveman who was trapped in ice in 2010 or something? <laughs> That's possible. Defrost and no, uh, yeah. I mean, th- th- this is this is right in there. I mean, I I, I think Tups knows what they're doing. And, they do. Uh, yeah. It's no, I mean, good, they, there, there's no there's no frills here. I mean, this is that exactly as you described it on the nose, David, floral and a little bit dank, exactly the way that those original IPAs that swept across America were. I, I'm enjoying this beer very, very much. And if I recall, I'll have to go back and listen to that John Carpenter episode. This is two for two on this series for us, for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think this beer is great. I... I think that it's super well balanced. It has a fantastic, almost kind of pillowy mouthfeel uh, to it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, am s- sad for a number of reasons. One, I don't have another can of this. Two, Tubbs doesn't distribute in Corpus. And three, <laughs> this is like a series they do. So this one's done. It's done. Yeah, this this was an Austin beer run. But but you know that whatever you get another entry in the series. Odds are it's going to be pretty good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I do, I, I do have I solid. do have some series twenty four in the fridge. Uh, nice. I, uh, well, just when just when you thought the controversy was over, we're going back to nineteen ninety five to talk about young kids wild in New York City. Kids. When we return. <laughs> I was trying to lull did, you guys in. You definitely did. Um, I'm not interested in interrupting you do that anymore, so you can let your guard down. <laughs> okay. I don't believe you at all. <laughs> um, I've already opened and poured my beer. Y'all better catch up. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, for the second glass moistening of the evening, we are returning to a brewery that I think that we have enjoyed quite a bit in the past, if memory serves. Um this is a beer from Weldworks Brewing. Mm-hmm. Um, they are 
Mm. Uh, really, Colorado. Okay. Uh, it doesn't say on the can. They really fucked me here. Oh, there it is, actually. Sorry. Greenlee, Col- Greenlee Colorado. Um, this is a return to the brewery. Um, Joe, what was the episode number we had? Episode 98, when we did There Will Be Blood, we had their Grandma Jay's Strawberry Rhubarb Pie, and I remember that being unanimously rejoiced. That's what I thought. I didn't want to speak at a turn. Um, That Strawberry Rhubarb Pie was very good. Uh, That's a good revisit episode also, episode 98. It is. Um, This is something that is, as you guys know, especially if you listened to last episode, especially... Mm -hmm. Uh, that is really going to tickle my fancy. Um, Why is that? Because uh, this is a coffee coconut stout. It oh, is brewed with toasted coconut and milk sugar. It's a milk stout, spoiler alert, and Peruvian coffee from Zoe's Cafe. I'm assuming that is a uh, cafe coffee yeah, roaster it's, it's in local, Colorado. It's a local Greeley coffee joint. They're partnering up with local on this one. Uh, mm-hmm. Love to see that. Um, yeah, all the breweries props for that. Yeah, and this is... It's only 8%, but we'll take it. Mm. And I love that, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, on the bottom, the little stamp with the canning date, uh, it says morning beer on mine. Hell and yeah. It, we're, not, we're not recording in the morning, but I would be totally happy opening this up for a morning beer. There's, there's a beer I gave you guys today that is a good morning beer. I'll let you guys figure out which one that is. It smells fantastic. That coffee and coconuts coming through. Yeah. Uh, it's pouring a little thin. The head's a little thin for a stout, but I mean, so far I've got Ooh. high hopes. Yeah. There is well, a, a local coffee place here, Cafe Calypso. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you are. They have a uh, coconut roast um, coffee bean that uh, I know it's going to be a good day if I go in there and that is the flavor coffee of the day that they've made. But I also have, <laughs> I also have taken some of it home and I also uh, got a lot of backlash <laughs> from the coffee shop next to my my store uh, for having them grind my coconut coffee beans for them because it took them <laughs> quite a quite a while to get the coconut out of their coffee grinder. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. That's funny. Um, well, you know, get, get, getting some coconut out of your grinder, getting something else out of your grinder, uh, kids. Um, <laughs> it's not a segue. It's uh, not a segue. Uh, Points for we, effort. You know, we, we, we talked in the first half that we were going to look at this other film that had in its day, 25 years ago now, been quite controversial around some of the same kind of subject matter, you know, um, the overt kind of sexuality of young uh characters and and some pretty young ones in this film although maybe the the primary character is slightly older than our cuties uh figures you know going more into the maybe you know 15 to 17 age range but there are some you know especially in some of those uh those apartment scenes uh kids that are clearly around the more the 11 12 range it seems like um but but basically as joe kind of said in the first half this is set at that time, mid-90s, in New York City. Um, these teenagers who don't seem to have a whole lot of parental supervision going on, who are kind of um, spending a lot of time on the streets and out and about, uh, doing drugs, having sex. Um, and and within that context, sort of the primary... Uh, Being assholes. 
being assholes is sort of the, the primary driver here for the narrative is you have uh, these two friends, uh, Telly and Casper, uh, and Telly sort of prides himself on being one who deflowers virgins, right? He, he And he goes after very young women, right? We're talking about, you know, just into puberty, 12, 13, 14-year-old girls. That that seems to be what, what he's most interested in. The film opens up with him um, on one of these uh, rendezvous with, with a girl who he's trying to deflower, who he seems to successfully uh, do that with, um, and then leaving that and, and immediately wanting to go on to his next one. And, and so the film kind of follows him, his friend Casper, and then some other characters who he had been involved with in the past, primarily Jenny and some of her friends. Jenny, played by Chloe Sevigny, who we've talked about. We watched, actually, a film she directed not that long ago when we were doing the uh, the We Are One film festival, right? That, yeah. that was uh, yeah, in there? Yeah, We Are One. Yes. Um, but this is a very young her. I think she was maybe 18, 19 when they made this, playing a little bit younger. And, uh, you know, th- th- on her search to find him, because she, sadly, has found out that she is HIV positive and having only ever had intercourse with him in the past, she's pretty certain that he's the one who has given it to her. And thus, you know that he's likely spreading it to all these other girls who he is deflowering on his conquest. So that that's the basic setup. And you're seeing their lives as they go about New York City, spend time in apartments, out in parks, all that during the day. Um, it's actually a very low-key film in terms of action, so to speak, but um, a, a lot of just observing, right, what's going on in these situations. And notorious in its time for taking this very blunt, unrestrained kind of look at this kind of behavior among teenagers. Yeah. And you described the, I mean, the thin part of the plot is that HIV track down telly storyline, but the film is really a series of scenes in the life of these teens Mm -hmm. bounce around. They don't really connect. It's uh, more, it's a cinema verite, the um, camera often is a very long, like a tele, tele, telescopic lens. Telephone. Shoot, that's what I said. Shooting from far away, so much so that one of the striking visual images are the boys walking down the street just talking their trash and the traffic going between the camera and them mm-hmm. while you hear the dialogue. It It gives it a very distinct raw in New York City feel. Something we uh, every time while while I'm watching it. Yeah, a technique we saw in the Safdie brothers film, Heaven Knows What. Yeah, was a very prominent uh, visual um, bit that they did in that movie, also set in New York. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, it was interesting revisiting this one. I don't think I had seen it since the '90s when when I initially saw it. Um, I was and. And it was a really interesting experience to rewatch it as I did the other night because I'm in such a different place in my life, right? Uh, You know, 25 years ago, I was their age. Literally, you know, I was probably 16, 17 as I was seeing this film, seeing people who were my peers. You know what I mean? Leo Fitzpatrick, Chloe Sevigny, uh, Rosario Dawson, what's the uh, the guy who hung himself uh jason is it pierce with the the, the guy who plays casper yeah, um, i believe so yeah justin um, 
Justin, thank you, um, who is a skateboarder, right, and, and, and sort of associated. But all that aside, like watching it then, seeing these people who I recognized as very similar to me and my friends, you know, interested in skateboarding and indie underground music, uh, to some extent, that, that's not a big driver of the film, but it does have a great soundtrack. Um, the, you know, the, the difference being there in the midst of urban uh, density in New York City, whereas I was living in a more rural location, but still the the drugs, the sexuality, that stuff, th- that wasn't stuff that was so foreign to me. And it didn't feel incredibly different than my own experience, even if it was taking on some more sinister aspects with the HIV, the the conquest, the, the kind of toxic max- masculinity of, uh, of Telly, Though I, I don't think I would have recognized it with that kind of terminology. I still didn't like that approach to, <laughs> you know, be, being a young man. Um, but, but it was a very different kind of experience watching that now as a 40-plus-year-old guy being sort of, like, shocked by it in a way that I wasn't when I saw it the first time. No, this one was more difficult to watch than Cuties was. Mm. Uh, I, I'm, I'm with you, David. I saw it kind of near when it came out. I remember vividly a lot of the scenes. We have gone into uh, our own little Harmony Corinne love fest, you know, w- when we talked about uh, six of his movies back in episode 36 when we did The Beach Bum. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of this movie is the anatomy of how it was made. The mm-hmm. idea that Larry Clark was, you know, trying to make a cinema verite film about skateboarders in New York, found this unknown kid named Harmony Corinne, who said he'd write a script and did, I think in like two weeks, cast a bunch of unknown actors to play, to tell a story that like cuties is shining a light on a subculture of here, you know, here in America. And I think that this film was so shocking when it came out for the same reason that Cuties is, and that is is that your kids are doing a version of this, or at least they are aware that this version does exist. Maybe you've brought your kids up differently and they're not exactly participating in all of the functions that we see in this movie. But this movie is more uncomfortable to watch because unlike Cuties, where there is no nudity, there is no you're seeing very graphically represented a rape, um, the completely unthought of spread of HIV as we're now, Mm -hmm. we know that Telly is most likely HIV positive. We're watching him infect and infect and infect. And it gives you the skeeves. This movie does (laughs) in a way that cuties, while I was uncomfortable watching what I knew to be, uh, um, underage girls in a manner that I don't want to see underage girls. I don't know if I want to see any of this behavior either. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's interesting. Um, I definitely was, um, a part of a similar subculture to what is represented in this movie, like little skate shits running around trying to buy dime bags of weed from people, you know, huffing whatever chemical will give them a little bit of a rush or whatever. Like I sat in living rooms with people like fucking huffing keyboard duster, uh, <laughs> at like 12 years old, you know? Uh, well, that, like, yeah. You want to hear that? Go back to episode 36. <laughs> oh, we have the same we, joke. Yeah. Uh, ah. and I mean, I was always too what like, do we air keyboard. 
monster with. I don't. That that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, well, it's I'm the same thing as that. a whippet, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Um, I was always too chicken shit to do any of that stuff, but I'm sitting there like watching all my friends do all of this right. stuff, and um, and it's like you know, as I'm sure that you know, I, I. I didn't touch on it in the first half of the episode, but I remember, uh, like, on my way to be dropped off at high school, having to drop my little brother off at elementary school, and seeing on the, like, digital marquee at the same elementary school that I went to when I was a a kid, um, a sign that said, um, parents, please, like, have your kids leave their smartphones at home. And I had to fight tooth and nail to get, like, a brick cell phone when I was in eighth grade or whatever. And the only reason I got it was because my mom was worried about me because of the people I was hanging out with, which is somewhat justified, uh, as <laughs> given what I just said. But, and and seeing that and being like, man, I can't imagine growing up in that world, which obviously is, like, what is being reflected in cuties. Um, so I can't speak as much to that, but I know for sure that what they're looking at and like what is being shown in kids is like real fucking behavior that these people are, that like actually happens. Like that's a real yeah. thing. Like that's how, like a lot of the kids that I like grew up with, you know, skateboarding and uh, not just skateboarding, it's everywhere. Uh, cause I had all, I had all sorts of, uh, of friends like kind of casually through school. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean it's fucking disturbing. I mean, it's disturbing. It's uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think, you know, I think doesn't I think sit well. I think it speaks to the power of the potential of cinema to see lenses turned on to real life situations acted out dramatically enough to hold our attention because real life otherwise is boring. You know, it's got to be a cinematic experience that shows us real life. Now, I love a Marvel movie as much as the next guy. I I really do, more than I even let on. But you're not going there to see real life. Those fantastical movies that we like the most, we like them because they're weaving real-life elements into the characters that we can relate to, Indiana Jones and others. So real life in film, when done well, is always fascinating to me. I'm thinking of Eeb, uh, help me out, the, the, the Delhi monkey movie, going back to that We Are One film festival, yes. which, is, which has put a huge fingerprint into the life of this podcast, that weirdo YouTube video uh, episode that we did. Yeah. Um, but seeing Eeb, pictures of Eeb real Eeb life. Was it yeah, Eeb 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 or something like that? Seeing pictures of real life that I don't want to maybe visit in my real life I rely on film cinema to give me that experience. And that's the saving grace of kids for me is that I know that the actors there are consenting to put on a show in front of a camera to give a story that while uncomfortable, I want to know what Carlos's life was like when he was that skateboarder, you know, whatever. I'd like to think that that, as we, we 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 use the term toxic masculinity on this show that that is the theme of this film you know is is the 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 negative impacts of that it's certainly an anti-hiv movie it's certainly a use protection no matter your age movie and that makes more sense in 1995 than it does now although it makes as much sense now as it does then 
I, I, this was a difficult watch, but I appreciate it for the piece of art that it presents itself to be. To me, seeing it again now, um, the, you know, like I said, the, the perspective is shifted. I, I don't feel without a doubt. I don't feel as much like I am one of them as much as I am watching them, but it did give me greater appreciation for how well written it is and why Harmony Corinne, I think to many, kind of became the breakout star of, of this project, even though he wasn't really an on-screen figure except for a very short scene there at the club. Um, where where he's uh, you know interacting with uh, Jenny, the Chloe Seventy character, um, but uh, you know it is really well written. There's some great dialogue in there. The the whole structure of the story, like you say, it has a very loose feel to it. Like you're just watching a day in the life, but each thing kind of leads to the next in a very um, purposeful way in the way that we're kind of cross-cutting between these scenes of Jenny trying to find Telly or having, you know, starting out just having these conversations with her friends, but then ultimately trying to find Telly. Um, and then Telly on his, you know, daily routine of trying to find the next virgin to deflower. It's it's pretty powerful filmmaking. I mean, he's he's got an instinct for storytelling right there in those early days that seems to, he seemed to almost have to actively work against later in some of his work. Um, but, but as a young guy, you know, writing his first screenplay and getting it produced, it's a really great screenplay. Um, however you want to slice it, I think so that, so that, that was kind of neat to, to see some of that shine through in a way that I don't think I had great appreciation for in 1995, um, uh, but, but it's also, you know, it's not just Corinne, it's seeing, you know, Chloe 70 and, uh, Rosario Dawson in these breakout roles. I mean, it, it was a confluence of factors, right? Finding these very talented non-actors, um, finding this talented screenwriter, filmmaker who hadn't really done anything yet and, and was able to kind of churn out something that I think was really pretty remarkable. Um, and, and again, doing a lot of button pushing in it. And Larry Clark came with his own baggage. And, and as a figure, I don't know how much I want to get into like promoting him as an auteur that I want people to see um, because he's had kind of questionable relationships with his uh with his subjects over the years, you know, he, he started as a still photographer doing, uh, you know, photography of young people doing drugs and be, <laughs> being risky um, and, and even engaging in some of those behaviors with them or at least encouraging them to. Uh, and that th there's some questionable stuff in there, but he has an eye. He understands how to sh how to shoot something, as Joe is pointing out, like his his almost documentary style approach to making this and, and, and putting it together gives it a kind of rawness and, and a realness that I think, um, you know, he was going for, obviously it was intentional and I think it works for the story that it is. And he was able to follow it up with a number of films that, that kind of did that. And I know we're not getting into his whole filmography, but it, it's a mode that he clearly had the ability to kick into and with the right material here and with the right cast, it's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, no doubt. Um, the, the, the controversy relating it back to cuties though, is that there were many underaged actors on the set. Mm -hmm. I think even underage actors where you see some nudity and that gets back into the cuties thing of, is this, you know, pornographic 
there are laws in place to protect young actors. Mm-hmm. And I believe that in order to obtain the NC-17, they had to do some special effects to smooth out some nipples and stuff to, you know, and even then they didn't get the, uh, the rating that they were looking for. So that's where it gets into an interesting moral dilemma and I'm, that I'm looking at now as an older man than I did when I first saw the film. And that is the underaged actors on set used in a very sexual manner does make me does give me pause mm-hmm. in a way that in a way that investigating cuties to see if these claims that I'm hearing about it are true came up to be no they're not true if you applied the same metric to kids you you would be justifiably outraged mm-hmm. I guess we forgive the film because it's 25 years old and they were making it at a different time I don't know or that everyone's just gotten used to the fact that it exists and the time has passed to be angry about it and everyone's moved on and forgotten. So like that's probably a big part of it. Yeah. And then also, you know, you get some of the like rose colored glasses looking back at it because Rosario Dawson is fucking Rosario Dawson, uh, a national treasure. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Chloe Sevigny went on to have a, a remarkable career. Harmony Corinne went on to have a remarkable career. And so I think also because of some of the talent that it gave us, um, mm-hmm. I'm sure people are willing to be like, oh, yeah, that's the movie where that was the breakout role for these people. Like, you know, and it's been long mm-hmm. enough that we don't really care about what happened or remember why it was so controversial other than just the subject matter or whatever. Yeah. If I had to guess, I wasn't. I was three when it came out, so I you know, <laughs> was not you, in you the mix. Oh, come on! I was not in the mix. Yeah. That that that's interesting. Yeah, it it is. It's an it's an interesting snapshot. I think it stands up in in a lot of ways. Still has troubling aspects that can't be you know sort of explained away. But at the same time, I don't. It it, it isn't necessarily a celebration of the lifestyle that these kids are living. Um, oh, not at it, all. It's it's more giving you a window on it, but it's also not. But it's also not as um, I I feel uh, as damning. It, yeah, as as cuties even. You know, mm-hmm. cuties I think makes it clear. Oh boy, this girl is lucky that she was able to have this flirtation with this life and pull away from it, and now she's found this like better understanding of herself and her identity and you there's a sense of hope there this film leaves you with no hope this film is like no this is something that these kids have fallen into you know absent parents um you know this misplaced misplaced priorities misplaced priorities um i mean i i mentioned the last scene of cuties where she's on the jump rope and there's an elation there there's a rising there Mm -hmm. in this film it's a weird the two main male characters, Telly is in bed with his recent most conquest, which is just a painful scene to watch Yeah, because he is a disgusting cad. That's the problem with kids is there's no one really here to root for. They're all gross. Well, except except for the girl, the Chloe Sevigny character, certainly. But um, the boys that they spend the bulk of the time in the movie on, it's him, his soliloquy of everything. The only thing that matters is pussy. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what he thinks. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what a 14, 15 year old boy might think. It's just the aggression that he do- that he goes to to get his goal. And then his buddy, uh, Casper, on the couch, who's just raped a girl, wakes up and says, 
whoa, wh- 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 what is the line? What did I just do? Or what what just happened? Or what, what did we just do? Yeah, what, what the fuck just happened? What right? the fuck just it's, happened? Yeah. And what a fantastic ending to that film, because that really is the message. Yeah. You know, what the fuck is happening in the streets and with, you know, with k- kids that are unsupervised and left to their own devices of pursuing ill thought out priorities. And I'm sure what a lot of people thought as the movie ended, as they were watching it, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. Uh, especially in, you know, 95. It's a fascinating, it's a fascinating movie that really, it's uncomfortable to watch now, but I mean, it, 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 it is pretty fantastic. And it's supposed, I feel like it's supposed to be uncomfortable to watch as well. Yeah. On some level, for sure. Um, yeah. So, the, the, you know, controversy, the, I think, one other difference that that would be worth pointing to is I think Kids was a film that courted controversy, whereas Cuties I don't think was trying for that. I I don't think uh, um, uh, Decor w- was really looking to start some sort of uh, you know again like social conversation, not in the way that it has. I mean I'm sure she wants people social commentary. She wants people thinking about these things, but she wasn't trying to get her film noticed because it was somehow evil and doing these things it was critiquing those things kids i think clark and and his funders to some extent knew oh if we do this we can get a lot of free publicity by just being this topic you know by just showing teenagers in this frank way with their sexuality um that that's going to be a controversial thing so i think i think that is another there was a more cynical angle to uh kids i think that isn't there with cuties necessarily but uh you know it worked and and it gave us a lot of great film filmmaking uh you know figures like we've said corinne and sevigny and dawson and all that so I was happy to revisit it, even if it yeah, was- I mean, because Harmony Corinne used the success of this film critically to launch his first uh, directorial debut, Gummo, mm-hmm. and you can pick up there, like I said earlier, in episode thirty-six, because we go all through his career there. Yeah, or David so, does. God, we're incredible. <laughs> yeah, we're, we 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 have it all. We cover all bases. Pulitzer Prize um, winning beer in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, you know, we, we I think know we're we, nominated for a 2020 Sudsy, but I'm not, I, I, I've got to follow up on that. <laughs> yeah, go. we'll have to Did look we, into that. I think we give those, so yeah, we'll probably win it. Yeah. Um, we'll win a Sudsy. Will we give one to Weldworks for this coffee coconut stout? This has been a very positive experience. <laughs> this beer has been a positive experience. That's one way of putting it. Carlos, what do you think? You have a different way? I think it's great. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> it very, very delicious. That, that thin pour and head, it's got a full, full body. The coconut yeah. and the, the the coconut and the coffee are fantastically balanced. And it's just going down so, so easy. And eight point six, we're not gonna I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna poo poo an eight point six. It's eight point zero. I think eight point oh, yeah. That, but, that's what I said. Um, <laughs> it, do, it does remind me of that Cafe Calypso coffee that I was mentioning earlier. Ooh, look that. It very much does. Uh, so I love that. Uh, a beer that gives you a completely locally based tactile experience. That's always that's always fun. Now mm-hmm. I, I'm enjoying this beer very much. Weldwork yeah. says that's two in a row 
that they've knocked out of the park on this show. Yeah, and I know I've had uh, their Juicy Bits, which is a really good IPA. Oh, we haven't that's had right. That that's right. I've had that too. Yeah. It's good. We haven't had it on the show, but uh, it, it, yeah, they, they are a brewery that, uh, that that those in the know uh, will, will get what they can. So that do you remember yeah. when we used to go over to your house to help you clear out your inventory? Yeah, sure. Man. Those were the days. What a time. Yeah. What well, a time we'll it was. I don't know. I don't know. We might we might get together soon. Who knows? Uh, yeah, you, get, you guys need to enter the new stewed. Yeah. Studio. Yeah, we're, it's we're been talking. a little uh been a little redone since the last time that y'all were here. Yeah. We, we should we should talk that out on our Patreon bonus episode this week. And that sounds that's like what a plan. Happens. There's definitely going to be another beer on that episode. Uh, yeah. For all oh, you Lord. non-Patreon bozos out there that are missing out. <laughs> Losers. Decrease your FOMO. Become a Patreon subscriber. There and you while go. While you're at it... Uh, you probably haven't, but have you seen cuties? <laughs> have you seen kids? Have you uh, had anything from Tups or Weldworks Brewery? Did you actually go as far as to cancel your Netflix subscription? I highly doubt that you did. Uh, yeah. But uh, let us know the answers to all of those questions. You can find us on all of your favorite social media platforms, except for TikTok because it doesn't exist in the U.S. anymore. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer and a Movie, Facebook.com/slash Beer and Movie TX, uh, Beer and Movie Podcast.com will give you a link to listen to all of our past episodes absolutely for free. And as we mentioned moments ago, we are on Patreon. That's Patreon.com/slash Beer and Movie Podcast. Uh, Five dollars a month will get you a uh, bonus episode every single week so that's like four bonus episodes uh, every month maybe five if the month plays out in that way um, and yeah that's every single episode we only have one episode that was recorded before we got on patreon that won't have a bonus episode but after that every single week you can expect that bonus content uh, that we all know that you desperately crave and need. Um, but yeah, this has been another great, very interesting. Um, definitely, we have not discussed a film as controversial as the ones discussed today. It is new territory, a hundred and some odd number of episodes in. We're still uh, still pushing boundaries on this future Pulitzer Surprise winning uh, podcast. Um, but until mm -hmm. next time. What if you can't make yourself happy? Mm -hmm.